welcome back to the audacity i hope everyone's been having a good week and everyone's doing well okay so i know i've been absent for a while i know i since the beginning of every podcast partially because this episode is kind of hard for me to record because it's really it's like personal but my horoscope says i need to speak my truth regardless of how controversial i feel it is and talking about colorism is always controversial because bitches don't like to take responsibility. <laughs> I realize, I feel like my podcast is I, like a, the, a mix of the 1619 Project, mix a little bit of Queen Radio. Like that's the energy I'm giving. Um, and then additionally, um, capitalism has been kicking my ass and I fell off my meds again, which you know if you're on antidepressants and you kind of fall off, like you're kind of lost in the sauce until you get back on. So that's where I've been, but I feel like I have a lot to talk about in this episode. So let's jump in. Before I get into our topic this week, I wanted to come like I was coming wanted to come up with a shtick. And I figured I think I found what it was. And so I'm gonna recommend a documentary or book that's relevant to what's going on, um, like kind of right now in America. What like oof. America's always been down bad. Like let's never get it twisted. America ain't never been shit. Like historically it's never been shit. It's just we're not old enough to remember. And America will never be shit, clearly. So um the book that I'm recommending today is Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. So basically what it's about is six stories. I think I don't know <laughs> this is bad on me. I don't know where the fuck Milwaukee is. I'm sorry. Anybody's from Milwaukee? I'm sorry. I don't know. Anyways, six stories um, in like the city of Milwaukee, particularly in um, like inner city neighborhoods and basically just gives a story of six people who um, experience eviction or like housing, a housing crisis or issues within housing. Basically, the story is and like, for example, this is a prime example of how America's been down bad, will always be down bad. There's a story of this guy, his name is Lamar, um, and he lost both of his legs, so he has a disability, and he like applied for some type of assisted, in, like an assistant income, something to help him, and they said, the program said that he could still work. So he has two prosthetic legs, but they said he could still work. Like, if you don't give that nigga his disability, so then um, he fell behind on his rent a week, uh, or a month. And then, and he only has $78 to spend after he pays his rent. Right. And like, he just had to buy toiletries and stuff. And, you know, and he has two boys in high school, two black sons, and he's trying to raise them. And he misses out on his rent because, um, he like still hasn't gotten his assisted income yet. And it's like, once you fall behind, like, I think what this book really highlights is that par- poverty is one missed bill away. Like, you could just literally fall down on your luck and it's so hard to catch up. Like after you miss a payment, you just like, it's hard to catch up. And then he receives an eviction notice, um, by his black landlord. And it gets into her and her story as being like a black landlord and like giving, you know, families chances and stuff. I think it's a really good book, especially with what's going on with, um, them not renewing the rent moratorium. Like that's the dumbest dumb shit. Like, and we're about to go back into another lockdown or we're about to go back into something like people are dying again. 
And I mean, I just ultimately, I'm just sick sidebar. I can't believe they politicized a health care crisis. Everyone is affected by this. Like, yes, there are people who are more disproportionately affected based on systemic issues, but everyone is affected by this. Like, I can't believe bitches are really, do like, bitches are dumb. Like, I'm talking about, like, you know, regular people. I'm talking about politicians. and They're dumb, da -da -da dumb, da -da -da stupid. Like, I can't believe, I mean, I should believe this is where we are. Anyways, so yeah, I think that's a good book to read. I'm reading right now. Super interesting. Um, and it just goes to show, like, these, this shit is real. Like, this shit is real. And they're criminalizing houselessness. And they, they're blaming it on the fault of those who are houseless. And that's bullshit. You can't raise rent and not make rent affordable and then be like, oh, I'm going to get mad at you because you're not, you're not in a house somewhere. You're, it's like, it's, I've been seeing a lot on Twitter and this is it's violence. It's capitalist it's capitalist violence because it's like they have no choice. There's no way they can make any money to sustain a home, a lifestyle. Like I, I it just doesn't make any sense. Duh. America doesn't make any sense. But also I had a challenge too. Um you should play this game called Spend It. I'm gonna put it in the bio for the episode. It's a really good um game. Like for example, you go, you pick a job. It's a minimum wage job. You pick a job. Then you pick how close you want to live to a city. The closer you live to the city, the higher the rent is, but the cheaper the gas is. The further you weigh, the higher the gas, cheaper the rent. So you kind of have to weigh that choice. And then like bills will pop up. Like you have a medical bill. Do you just not go to the doctor? Um, even if you're, or if you're sick, do you go to work or do you stay home, but you can't miss a day of work? You get strikes if you mess up on your job. It, another question is like, oh, do you get your kid a birthday gift to go to, his, uh, like, um, or do you go, like, if your kid's going to a birthday party, do you get them a birthday gift for the friend, or do they just not have a gift and they're that kid, and then that's, like, $10, and, but you need that money, you get to buy, you have to do grocery shopping, too, and, like, pick how nutritious do you want your meal to be, but the more nutritious you are, the more expensive it is, like, that's real-world shit, so, and I put in one of my, um, sociology classes, and the white, the lady was so weird. She was like a white lady who walked around with no shoes up in the fucking classroom. And on top of that, uh, we'd do like a joint class study guide. And they called us, like this one group called us colored people, like black people, colored people. And I was like, and I corrected, I'm like, that's racist, it's black people. And then after my test, she goes, thank you for calling that. I did not see that. Like, but anyways, one thing I do think she gave me was this game. So I highly suggest y'all play it if you know, you're kind of like, I think it's a nice activity to go with the reading, <laughs> not me assigning a lesson plan, but it's a nice activity to go with the reading because it does give you a realistic example of, you know, stretching your paycheck to paycheck and like what it's like to be, you know, in a lower socioeconomic class. So there's that. Um, it's just more like a wake up call. Um, then, okay, we're going to jump into a recap of last week's episode. So basically I talked about Zendaya and her ability to have access to certain spaces and opportunities based on her appearance, which include her skin color, loose hair texture, and her Eurocentric features, which they're all a part of colorism, like, because they're like additions, like to an equation, or they're like, I don't know, like they can, it's just your appearance, like however closer you look to whiteness, the better in society, not in, like, no, I don't believe that, but in society. Um, so Hopefully, I gave you a peek into how colorism affects darker skin women entertainment. And for all you bitches that says Zendaya is famous purely based on talent, I don't know what to say. Like, I mean, I knew you were trouble from the start. You were real bad trouble from the start. I knew. Like, when I saw it, I was like, I'm not surprised. But I don't know. I just want it better for y'all. But whatever. Thank you for the people who voted looks because it is looks. Um, 
So now we're going to get into how colorism affects your everyday people like me and you. Uh, but before I jump into this topic, um, I want to preface it with this because I know people are going to be like, well, you're just picking, you're just making something out of nothing. Okay. So I was having this conversation with my coworker and he brought up Zendaya about something, how she was great or something. I had to be like, uh, no, 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 no. Like I literally just a podcast episode about this. We're not about to sit here and have this discourse about how great Zendaya is on shaky teeth. Like, no, we're not going to do that. And so then I like called him out. I was like, Zendaya's really not all that in a bag of chips. She's just light skin. And then he was like, well, I'd rather pick Zendaya over Candace Owens, which who wouldn't like, I would pick anybody over Candace Owens. I would pick Tom Hanks, son, Chet Hanks over Candace Owens. Like I really would. So like the bar is low. Right. But anyways, and then he alluded to Candace being dark skin. And I was like, no, I think Candace is more brown skin, not dark skin. And he said, we, sh- he, he was like, well, I like basically made like a scoff. Like he couldn't believe I said that. And he was like, well, we shouldn't be categorizing ourselves the way that white people do, um, you know, and putting ourselves in these own categories and oppressing our own. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm just pointing out like what it is what it is what's like literally what it is what's up that's what i'm pointing out and he couldn't like even acknowledge um like when we were talking about zendaya that a part of her success is her colorism and it is her texture and her eurocentric features and her skin color and of course like me being a retrospective ass bitch i didn't say anything because i just like it's sometimes it's easier to nod like for example why there's a book it's this book by renee eddie lodge i think etta lodge um she's british and she writes this book why i'm no longer talking about race with white people so something to that effect it's a long ass title and there's just certain things that i shouldn't talk about to certain people and i always catch myself in the traps i keep thinking like oh we can have open honest dialogue while recognizing our positionality and recognizing where we come from and you know being self-aware but no you really can't because some people are not keep in mind my colleague is light-skinned so there's just sometimes that you're not have that you don't have that ability to have a conversation with everybody because everyone's biased and some people just don't have that self-awareness to take a step back and be like well how am I complicit because saying you're complicit requires personal responsibility and bitches don't want people want to blame everything on everybody else people don't want to take personal responsibility um yeah so I'm, I'm calling y'all bitches to take personal responsibility if you're problematic in 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 this regard and really any regard but anyways so, um, I, when he said that, like, we shouldn't be oppressing her, I'm like, first of all, I can't even do that because power dynamics, like, that's like saying, well, I don't believe in reverse racism and I don't believe that black people can be racist personally. So therefore, like, I don't believe I can oppress lighter skinned people because the power dynamics are different. I don't know what you're talking about unless it was like in a way that I had a privilege and that person did not. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not understanding and that wouldn't be surrounded by skin color. Right. So then he was saying, um, and I was saying to myself, like, okay, yeah, there's power dynamics, but also actual harm has been done to dark-skinned people by light-skinned people. Historically speaking, light-skinned people own slaves. And because, if okay, you should read this book. It's called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And basically, there's these two light-skinned sisters. They're so light, they could pass as white. And one actually does. She lives her life as a white woman. And I'm not giving away the plot or anything, but... Um, like, you have the ability and the access to go certain places and oppress other black people. And in the book, she literally called her neighbor a nigger. I mean, come on. And she's black. And I was like, anyways, read the book. Super good. Finished in one sitting. But, like, for example, there's shit like that that you have to be like, uh, okay. 
Um, but it also bothered me because it felt like he was saying like, Leah, shut up and not, you're, don't talk about this. Like we're all black people at the end of the day and we are, but we're not like when we say we're all black people, we're ignoring the fact that we're multifaceted and we're not monolithic and we all have different identities that give us different experiences in life. And some of those are privileged and some of those are not, but you have to talk about them and have that open dialogue to discern what is what. Um, and it just made me feel like he was trying to silence the discussion and in, in, in terms like when you're complicit in this because you're refusing to take a step back and think oh damn like you're saying something that I have no idea about when someone's speaking about their experience that I have no idea about tell me more I really want to know because I didn't know beforehand and I want to educate myself so that I can be a better person ally going forward so I can know when someone says that I'm going to check you right away that's not my community but I know that that's disrespectful and in a way it is my community because I want to be an allyship with that community whatever whatever you're saying you know what I mean and some people don't operate like that um, where they want to be an allyship. They just want to say, well, oh, we're all this. We're all No, we're not all this. Like every black person is different. Every black person has walked a life that you know nothing about, has different identities that experience, that influence the way that they move. Um, and we need to acknowledge that. Now, if your experience and you're going to, with your experience, if you're going to be rooted in hate and, you know, bigotry, can't relate, don't want to hear that shit. But, you know, like, you have to listen to things that you don't understand to, you know, make better choices going forward. So with that being said, I'm going to jump into colorism, um, <laughs> but I'm going to attack it in five parts and how it's influenced my life in five parts, maybe the most important parts. Um, first and foremost, oh shit, my laptop's about to die. Hold on. Okay. So I'm going to attack colorism in five parts. I'm going to tackle it in family, friends, black men, love life or lack thereof, uh, institutional, structurally. Um, and in the bit, I'll be talking about appearance, but maybe that'll come through in a little bit, but it's not like a subheading. So first off, let me start with family. I think that that's really important because your family is what raises you up. They're your immediate surrounding. Like they are the people you see every day. They're the people who make you who you are. So my story in short of colorism, like I want to be like, sound like, woe is me. Cause woe is not me. Like I'm not a victim, but I've struggled to see the beauty of myself because I never saw or currently see anyone around me that looks like me. I'm one of the only dark skinned people in my immediate family. The only other dark person, dark skinned person in my life was my grandfather and he passed away, but he was also a man. So like, like my grandma thinks he's so attractive because he's dark skinned and she's like, anyways, that, we're not going to get to that, but what, you get what I'm saying. Like there was no other like darker skinned black women besides my aunt really, but that's it. And they don't, our generation doesn't really like their generation doesn't really acknowledge stuff like that. So, you know, cause I like my grandpa, he kind of, he came out of the sharecropping era. So like, that's not where his head was, but you know, right before he passed away, we had a conversation. I recorded it cause he was talking about my grandma and it was funny though. Cause I mean, I love both my grandparents, but he was basically saying my grandma's a colorist without like, with, without the language, but was saying she was a colorist and you know, it was nice to have that moment with him before he passed. Like, you know, feel seen that like, I'm not delusional. Like I'm not the only person thinking that, you know, my family has a, a color issue. Right. So, you know, you, that like you start to notice that when you're a little girl and you're a dark skinned girl and nobody else is in your family. Um, but I noticed that like my grandparent, my grandma, like generally my family would pay more compliments and attention to those and my family, like who's light skinned, which is fine. I think that's, okay. which no, it's actually not fine, but I'm like, which then in turn, like kind of made me feel invisible, which, you know, 
is a byproduct of, you know, experiencing colorism, you feel invisible. Um, and the only compliment that I get is like, that I'm smart and I'm a hard worker. Um, or like my grandma's like, you're going to look beautiful when you age because of your skin, like black doesn't crack. But like my, my cousin, who's like really light skin, um, and has like, you know, basically straight hair, like she's beautiful. You know what I mean? And you notice those things because like, I'm not saying that compliments, like, physical like uh, appearance-based compliments are the only way to raise like your child up but it's really important in a world that makes you feel like you're ugly and they'll tell you that either directly or indirectly through media looks microaggression twitter comments like people will say things in a world where your kid will hear that it's important that you raise your child up and make them feel like they're the most beautiful to get it at home before they go in the real world and someone will say that and they don't know how to handle it you know what i mean and that's really hard. And I think it reinforces a negative view of yourself and gives, you know, like a dark skin little black girl low self-worth. And in addition to that, it's like your hair texture and your features. Like, for example, my cousin, I have two little cousins and one, her hair te- is like really thin, loose curl. But the other one, her hair is a little bit more kinky, coily, curly. And like my grandma will like say stuff about her hair or you know my family say stuff about like my cousin's hair who's more curly as opposed to like my cousin whose hair is loose like you know she's so beautiful and all this other stuff and I don't know and then the other girl like my cousin she's thick and she's fast and like it just really breaks my heart that like we do it to our girls at such a young age you know what I mean so um yeah I think at first it really does start with your family first and, you know, how they raise you up and are they aware of the body that you're in and, you know, the, you know, the body that you inhabit and the appearance and the identities that you hold. So friends, you know, first I want to call out all black women who have darker skin friends um, that when you're complaining or you're commiserating over your shared racial lived experiences, that sometimes there's a different based on skin color. Like, some things are the same, but some things are nuanced and you have to acknowledge that. And I, I feel like some people don't do that. And as a friend, you have to acknowledge your privilege in the same way that we're asking white people to do that. Like, that's the thing, like colorism. I hate that you have to like racially translate to somebody else's, or you have to translate your oppression to somebody else's oppression so they can kind of understand the equivalence. But literally the equivalence of being colorist is being racist. Like that's, it's literally the same thing, you know, white people discriminate against black people based on their skin color light-skinned people um and dark-skinned people too um can discriminate against black dark-skinned women based on their color like it's the same thing um and so you have to like you have to acknowledge like you have to do the same thing that we're asking white people to do is acknowledge and learn how to be an ally um because it's so ingrained it's so ingrained um and so like for an example these are like you know, like you have friends that are acquaintances, but they're not really friends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was that level. Um, they were associates, literally associates. And I think associates is a level up from acquaintance. Like, I associate with you, like, if we're working, you know, for at school, like, something like that. So I had two interactions with people who were associates. And, you know, I, I was talking to them about colors, and I don't know why, because I need to stop doing that. Because some bitches you just shouldn't have a conversation with about stuff, because they don't get it. Um, and I'm not here to help them grow and pick their brain. Sorry. And I need to learn how to be better at that. But... And they, I was talking about colors, and like, yeah, and they both said, like, they had a sibling who was dark-skinned, and how hard it was for him, it just breaks their heart, and it's so hard, and it's so hard. Like, that's what they told me when I told them I directly experienced this based on my color. Like, well, I have a sister. That's like saying I have a black friend 
well, I, ha- I have a black friend, but like that does nothing for me. Shut up and listen. Like you don't know and you'll never know what your sister goes through because you'll never have to walk in her shoes. So like, don't do that. If someone tells you that, don't do it. It's not a cute look. Just say nothing and don't say nothing. Sit there and nod and be supportive. Like when you're telling, when I'm telling my white friend, Nick, how hard it is, I don't want Nick to say nothing, but l- just listen don't there's nothing he can say there's nothing he can do to fix it right exactly so don't do that please I'm, I'm calling you out please don't do that okay next we're gonna move into black men um so I think there's really two perspectives I want to highlight with this one so I think there there's a perspective where there are black men particularly dark-skinned men who are fetishized as being the ultimate partner either because they're like animalistic or virile I, I don't know how the fuck to spell that I was looking up but I think that's the word they're, they're real men they're tough versus light-skinned men who are seen as like sensitive and simp like like think Drake and Chris Brown um like Drake is a scent because he's light-skinned versus like um de- mm. no not him like one of these thug rappers I want to say well, they're all pretty trash and they're all kind of canceled. So whatever. Think of whoever you want that fits that mold. I don't fucking care. They're all trash. Um, like Offset. Right, 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 right. Okay. Trash. Um, and that's upsetting because that's a stereotype first and foremost. But, you know, that's not true because clearly that's not true because black men, black people are not monolithic, like I said, and they're multifaceted. So that's really not true. But they're placed on that stereotype. Like my mom, when I was growing up, she, I want me a dark skin man. I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, why the preference? You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I'm going to get into preference. I'm going to get into preference. y'all. I'm going to get into preference. But the other perspective is that black men are also the perpetrators of colorism against darker skinned black women. And they take the time out of their sad little day to log on to whatever social media or, or talk to somebody and have the audacity to say like, um, really disparaging things about them, denigrate them. Um, and like, just be a bully, like for no reason, like tear down black women. And Part of me think no, not part of me. I it's all based in self hatred. I was talking to my professor, and she told me this story. Like she told me this phrase in Farsi that it's it's similar to beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but you see beauty based on your life experiences. Essentially, if you have inter- a ter- an internalized racist view of yourself and you're self hating, of course you're gonna see you're not gonna see beauty in the thing that you hate. You're gonna see beauty in the thing that you aspire to or you want or all this other shit, and that's. That's fine. That's not my life. I don't live that life. You live that life. But keep that bullshit to yourself. Like, stop projecting onto other people because you don't like yourself. Because you can't sleep at night. Because you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. That's not my problem. Like, I've never looked in the mirror and said, I don't like my skin color. That's not me. But you're trying to make it me. And I don't like that. Like, keep that shit over there. Like, outside the club. Not inside the club where bitches are trying to have fun and live. You know what I'm saying? But projection is the name of the game like bitches love to project because it means taking what you're not taking personal responsibility nobody wants to take personal responsibility right and you know what personal responsibility mean and noticing it in yourself and then changing your behavior so then people wouldn't have to deal with that shit but no that's not how the world works um so now we're going to get into preference and I said, it's also seen the idea of preference. Any nigga who says their preference out loud, I'm signing the fuck out of you. I am. If you have a preference, please keep it to yourself. Don't nobody need to know. That's a secret you can hold with you until you go to the grave. 
don't nobody need to know your preference because we'll see it in your partner. We'll see your preference. We like don't nobody want to hear it. And I get that everybody has something that they like. Like everybody has something that they're attracted to that they're interested in. But I think what really kills me is when your preference you have a preference and then you denigrate black women, darker skinned black women at the same time. Like you're really disrespectful towards darker skinned black women at the same time. So like, for example, I knew somebody in college and if you went to Santa Clara, you'll know who the fuck I'm talking about. The coonies of the coons. Like, and I hate to be that way, but it's just true tea is true facts. I remember he said to me, like he only liked girls with a loose curl nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10, seven times out of 10, whatever the probability is, you know exactly who's talking about. Someone who's lighter skin with a curl. He also told me that he thought that Ella Mae and Beyonce were brown skin. And I'm looking at him like, um, bitch, you need to go look at a Pantone? Like, no, first and foremost. And I remember we were having a conversation because I just could not understand his mentality to the life of me. I could not get where he was coming from. And I finally came to the conclusion. I was like, you don't, and I told him, you don't like black women or black people because you don't like yourself. You hate yourself. And that's not my problem. Like, go see a therapist, boo. Like, only only that can save you. Only God can save you. I can't help you. You know, like, you have to stop projecting your shit onto other people. And you could clearly see what his preference was in the women that he dated, but then also how he treated black women. Because I remember I was having this conversation with this white-ass racist dude, right? His name was Aiden. Don't remember his last name. Super, like, super, like, could have been Ku Klux Klan. And that is um a tongue twister. <laughs> Oh, no, I just got the Spotify charge for $10. I'm no longer a student. Um, but anyways, when we were having a conversation, and this is the same person, the white guy who made an argument about why saying the N-word wasn't bad. And he made this with this black guy who I'm talking to. So I'm like, that should already let you know what's happening right here in this dynamic. So we're sitting down in our dining hall, and I, I don't know, we're talking, because something, and I bring up how I just don't support H&M. And Ben knows why. And I said, because they made that coolest monkey in the jungle shirt for the black kid to wear. And then the, the white kid had like the king of the jungle, something like super racialized. And I was just like, you don't call a black person a monkey. That's a racial epithet. You don't say that. And he was saying, no, it's not. I would call somebody a monkey. Like, oh, like, oh, I, uh, what do you want me to say to that? I don't know what to say to that. And I'm sitting here arguing with him. And the black man sitting next to me says nothing, says nothing nothing, nothing, nothing while his friend was so disrespectful to me and talking down to me like I was wrong when I know I'm not wrong. And then I just was so upset with him and he couldn't understand for the life of me, he couldn't understand why I was upset because I'm sitting here looking at this black man who's letting his friend be racist and disrespectful to me and not say anything. But I know, I know actually, if it was somebody who's biracial or white, he probably still wouldn't say that. So maybe that's a testament to his character. Uh, <laughs> but like, it's shit like that where it's like, or, or how black men are so quick to, you know, come to the aid of biracial, lighter skinned women, like think Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams. D black men dog the literal fuck out of Serena Williams. But then when she got a white man, they're like, eh, there she go dating a white man. I'm like, when she trying to date black men, they dog the fuck out of her, calling her a man and stuff. Like, no, she's just a bad bitch who could beat your ass in tennis and you're mad about it. Like she's playing the white people sport and she's good and you're mad about it. Okay. So I'm like, there's just been multiple examples where black men, oh, and we could talk about, we could even talk about Meg the Stallion. Meg the Stallion is a thick woman. She's tall. She's, she is a stallion. Um, and she doesn't really fit like the biracial, lighter skin rapper norm, like Doja Cat, Saweetie, which we didn't talk, they're, well, Doja Cat's talented, but she has some self-hatred going on, and Sweetie's not talented, and Miss Mulatto, girl, literally jump off a fucking cliff with a name like that. Like, I cannot even believe in 2020 
one, almost 2020. Well, I, I, I take that back. I should believe it. I can't, I can believe that someone would have that name. I just can't believe she got famous. Um, because like mulatto, and I say it so sticks, I just can't even believe means half mule, half horse. It's a Portuguese word. And it just, it describes the, you know, interaction of the miscegenation between a black and a white person, most likely rape. And miscegenation is basically just like a big word to say, like, Two, two people of, uh, of different races having sex and procreating. Okay, anyways, right, right, right. So um, there have been multiple examples of how black men just don't protect black women, like how um, what's going on with the baby and uh, Tory Lanez. Like, they should have both been canceled. He shot Megan, Tory Lanez shot Megan the Stallion. There's nothing more to say. And I mean, the baby got canceled because white people canceled him. But we've been trying to cancel him. He like is, he's, Punch a woman in the face on camera. I mean, come on, like black woman in the face on camera. I mean, come on. So I just think that I mean I'm I'm kind of talking to black men here. I'm like I just I would like to see y'all show up and like be better. I don't know. So there's that. Um, I'm not gonna get to the niggas on Santa Clara's campus. Like uh, I just want more. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about love life or lack thereof. So for my senior paper for one of my classes, which was 17 pages I wrote in one sitting, and I had smoked some ganja burns. Um, honestly, one of the best papers I think I've written in college, period. Um, but I wrote about what it's like to be a darker-skinned black girl on a PWI campus, and I interviewed some amazing black women, darker-skinned black women, and one of the girls said, she was like, I just really feel like it's light-skinned women and all black males and then dark-skinned women just at the bottom of the totem pole. I guess you know how people have that, oh, like you're going to find who you're going to be with in college. I accept it very, very early on. That's not happening to me. Like I'll see a dude's page, right? And I'll be like, oh, like back in the day when I used to shoot my shot, which I refuse to do now, um, I'd be like, well, I wonder if you'll even like me because I'm dark-skinned, you know? That is such a real thing. Okay, so let's dissect what she's saying here. Because it's actually, it's a very compounded statement. So, she's saying that darker skinned black women at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of desirability. That is true. Because there's a, you know, a hatred for darker skinned black women. The closer you are to black, the worse it is. Anti-blackness, right? Okay, so then if you go to our school, Santa Clara University, it's kind of like where you find your husband. At least that's the experience for white people. And there are some people who I think, you know, you could be together forever, you know, and I, I love that for you. But that's not an option for darker skinned black women. And then she's saying she would shoot her shot, you know, like wanting to talk to a guy, but then she had to think to herself, like, would he even talk to me because of my skin color? And that's a real thing. Sometimes you think, well, does he even like black women? That's really sad. So I think I should be on the page. Do I even like black men? Like, I think that's the energy I should be exuding, but that's not true. I love all black people, you know? So I'm like, that's, you know, I don't understand where this, why well, I understand where the hatred is coming from yourself but like keep that shit to you um and that's i agree with her i refuse to shoot my shot if you want me you'll say something i'm not chasing a nigga you have to find me i'm sorry like i don't have time to be doing that like let alone because you're a man but second of all i don't have time to be a wondering and guessing like will he like me because of my skin i don't have time for that boo i'm sorry sorry a real one will show up and let you know right so I, that just breaks my heart, though, that that's the sentiment that you experience in college when you're like, you know, trying to figure it out. And, you know, in college, like er, you see romanticize. I think that's a problem, too. You see romanticize this idea of, of, you know, of finding your partner or someone. And that's not always the case. And per, I mean, I just may not be the case for darker skinned black women and especially black women on our campus because there ain't no black men 
some of them don't like black women. I mean, I don't know what to say. So I totally wish get what she's saying. And she's also saying like, I don't, you know, you're, you're not sure if you're going to be somebody's first choice, like, or if you're going to be anybody's choice at all, because of, you know, beauty is how you see it. Beauty is how you see it based on what you've been through. And you can't predict that for someone and you can't control that for someone. Um, and, you know, some of them even lamented that they noticed that black men would treat like the darker skinned black woman anyway, as opposed to like the lighter skinned black woman who they would treat so nice. And they ended up being exclusively dating the, the lighter skinned women while dogging the fuck out of dark skinned women, like treating them any type of way, treating them like they any regular old Joe Schmo. Like that's really fucked up. You know, when like, you think about it and it's true, like um, I think I was, I think I was not going to put a bibliography, but I am going to put a bibliography because I want y'all bitches to know this is not only a lived experience, but it's research. I've spent years, literally years researching this because it's factual. It's factual. Sorry. So I was about to sing some TLC. Um, so in my paper, in my bibliography and some of the research that I found is that women with lighter skin fare better in the mate selection market, securing higher status spouses and their counterparts, um, higher spouses than their counterparts are darker skin. That's really fucked up because imagine here, <laughs> I'm going to say everything's fucked up because it is, but imagine as a darker skin black woman hearing that statistic and thinking, what is the likelihood of me finding a mate because I'm not desirable enough? And we actually have to, I think desirability politics is so important and colorism, anti-blackness, all of that pays, you know, plays into that. If you, so I just think like, just deep Negro spiritual side. That's what I think. I, I don't even know what else to say about that. Um, and when you hear stuff like, you know, finding spouses of higher status, it makes you feel like you, no matter how great you are, intelligent, inventive, all this is, you'll still feel unattractive because it, you know, being desired is a want, a wanted thing in this society. And then you feel like, who are you? Do you even matter? Um, and it also is like, okay, bitch, I have to settle. That's not fair. Cause you're not a choice, right? Because of something somebody else got going on in their life. But if they have that going on in their life, do you even want them in the first place? Mm, no, go, go pay a therapist, go, go to church. I don't know what to say. And I, I don't even really believe in church, but go do something, go seek help somewhere, seek help. Okay. So now we're going to talk about it institutionally and structurally. So this is also part of my paper that I wrote, but let's get into it historically. So historically, black people's first introduction to education, higher education, was HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities for those who don't know. But the people who were mostly admitted were lighter skinned black people. And what this did, it allowed for them to start their journey on their middle class, upper class journey, creating the black middle class through their educational attainments and access to new opportunities with their educational attainments. While darker skinned people experienced more disenfranchisement due to their skin tone, um, not being able to have access, you know, and additionally, darker skinned women were barred from joining Greek life because, and they were denied admission if they failed the blue vein and paper bag test. So a blue vein test, if you can see blue veins through your skin, which is like really bitch, really? And the brown paper bag test is putting a brown paper bag over your face. And if you're darker than a brown paper bag, then it's a no, no, that's really fucked up. Um, and all of these trans a lot of these transgressions happened at HBCUs, but it also began to happen as black people were starting to get admitted to PWIs, uh, and the same trends began to emerge, which 
it's not like as overt as taking a brown paper bag test or doing the blue vein thing, but colorism obviously still exists. And then I'm like, you know, in my adult life, you know, Santa Clara didn't have black Greek life. And I'm thinking about, I wanted to think about joining, but then when I, you know, researched, I was like, damn bitch. Like, I don't know if I could join a group or that did that. And, you know, it's an origination. You know what I mean? Like kind of how some people have the same issue with voting because like black people weren't allowed to vote, all that other stuff. Cause I had to like take a brown paper, like shit like that. Like, damn, the history is so fucked. Do I even want to participate? Like that's really fucked up. Right. I, I, I guess that's fucked up is my phrase for today. Cause it is. Um, but this just goes to show that black darker skin black women were barred from joining social institutions as well as educational ones with other people who have the same identity of being black, a black woman, which then that literally goes in direct opposition to what my coworkers talking about, talking about we're, we're all black. No, yes, but no, like, yes, but no, it's nuanced. It's a very nuanced conversation. And additionally, it also affects darker skinned black women who get in, in their, you know, early education stage because bl- darker skinned black girls are 3.4 times more likely to get suspended as compared to their lighter skin counterparts, which means you're three. And if we, if that, if we get into the school to prison pipeline, like getting suspended, getting arrested, getting a caught, like having any interaction with any disciplinary force in, which I also wrote a paper on this too, in your early education stage can derail you for the rest of your educational journey. Like not kidding. One misstep could be the end of your ability to go to college, you know, to quote unquote, make a better life for yourself because college is the only way you can do that. Right. But I'm just saying like it, your, your skin color has real direct impacts on your access and your ability to thrive in life. And I'm not saying that like biracial people are lighter skinned people, um, and when I say biracial people, I'm most likely talking about people who are lighter skinned people. So that's why I keep saying both because it could be and or, you know what I'm saying? But it's very different. It's a very different lived experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the consequences can be more dire for darker skinned black women. They are also, darker skinned black women are also more likely to get sentenced, have heavier sentences in a criminal justice setting than lighter skinned people. And that's important. Like, that's really important to talk about. Because once you go to jail and you're in jail, all my mass, it's all connected. And then you, you can talk about the prison industrial complex, mass incarceration. Like it's all connected. The school to prison pipeline, black women in prison. And if you want to know more about this, I highly suggest that you read Monique Morris's push out. I read that book and I never had felt more understood as a black little girl in an educational system, particularly as a darker skinned black girl. So I'm saying read that book. I got some great information out of there period. You go, sis. But I'm just saying, like, there are all these real life effects that colorism has that have the ability to change your path on something that you can't control. Like, you was born this way. I'm beautiful in my way because I was, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Hey, I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? Like, that song is really problematic because not Lady Gaga saying Oriental. Like, bitch, that's not a cute look. We don't do that, boo. Anyways, (laughs) <laughs> and we okay so let's get into my personal experiences now that i got the stats out we're about to get into story time and i need to make sure i tell the story properly and correct because fuck this bitch so um i was in the, i got my major in ethnic studies so you would think that like the department was about something about shit anti-black as literal fuck so um before i get into miss miss eat the cake anime um, 
there would be professors who you could tell. Like, I think the thing is people, you can tell, like the same way you can tell a white person is being racist, you can tell when someone's being a colorist. Like, you, it's like a sixth sense. The professors would engage with their lighter-skinned students in a way that they would not engage with their darker-skinned students, and you could tell. And I don't know what that is. Hey, it's none of my business. That's none of my business. Just keep that shit on you. Don't come over here to me with that bullshit. Keep it on you, right? So I basically took down my whole department. Fight your mama about it. I'm, I had some, you know, compadres in the fight, but I took down the whole department, basically. And nobody knows. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Like, nobody knows but Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, so... This all started. Okay, so boom. I'm gonna start to say. Okay, so boom. This happened the summer that you know the George Floyd protests were happening last summer. In our department, every even the political science department sent something out. And if you, if our poli sci department, which that whole department should be fired, fired, no severance, no nothing. They're awful. All everybody's awful at their job. Every single one, every, from the ruta to the tuta. But even they sent something. So my friend she reached out to me and she's like leah our department hasn't said anything out and i'm like "Ooh, that's kind of shady right so we were like okay let's draft an email and i was like okay let, let's recruit some other people in our department so i'm the darkest person two other people are biracial and one other girl is um non-biracial um but i'm the darkest of all of us right and that's really important when we get into the rest of the story that's why i'm telling this so we send this email we're basically like Oh, here it is. Okay, so we email, <laughs> we tiled the email addressing the silence. I did not, <laughs> that's shady as fuck. Um, so we basically, we basically just said, we understand everything's going on because you basically sent out a statement, like you haven't said anything about a safe space or nothing. We haven't heard anything, like nothing. We had some professors reaching out if you had a personal relationship with that professor, but nobody said anything. We basically said, you're a non-black ally, you need to do something. And we asked because she write a statements. We just said we expected a statement from the department. We all signed it, right? So then, hold on, I need to find the. And we sent it to everybody in the department because if you know her, she's the type of person where she'll send really nasty things via email. So we wanted everybody to see, right? Like, this is here. Say something. Say something, I'm giving up on you. Like, literally. Um, honestly, where did it go? Oh, I, I think it's because I forwarded it to so many people. Okay, here we go. So then she said, basically, um, okay, I'm going So we basically sent her email saying like, hey, sis, we're expecting a statement. Like this is the least y'all could do. Y'all are non-black allies. This is a really painful time for black people. Like send something out, right? And she sent us an email talking about, um, she's go. oh, she said, I sincerely apologize if you feel, so if a person's saying if, they don't care, they're not sorry. Um, if I've not been properly responsive to your needs or to any suicide department. Um, then she goes, this two weeks have brought, I, she's going through a lot of stuff. She's stressed out. She's on Zoom, blah, blah, blah. She's having a hard time all this other stuff. Then she was like, you know, she goes, so I did not write a statement during all this because I neither had the bandwidth to do so individually or nor did I believe that another statement um, would suffice. Like, bitch, that's not up to you to decide what's suffice. But she's anti-black and everybody in the department knows it. And there's another anti-black. The other professor in the, let me just get, because anti-black and colorism, all this shit that they're basically the same. One of the other professors, he's Asian. He called his Negroes in class 
And I missed it. And I'm glad I did. Like the spirits were tugging at my soul to say, Leah, don't go. Like I walked in the classroom and I said, I don't really want to be here. So I left. And I'm glad I did. Because if you'd call me Negroes in class, I would have busted his ass in the classroom. We would have fought with his uh, spitting ass. Because if you take his class, he'd be spitting his shit. Like he'd be gleeking hella hard. So I'm so glad I missed, I missed that class. Then he basically said that black people are in, this politi- in the, the political situation that they are because they're not a competitive enough voter base. And I'm like, and he was basically blaming everything that black people go through on the fact that we don't vote diversely. And I'm like, bitch, it's so much bigger than that. And you're in ethnic studies, but he's really a poli-sci teacher. He's not an ethnic studies teacher, clearly. But anyways, so she basically said, you know, how she was struggling. She didn't want to write a statement because she didn't care. She goes, she goes, I'm sorry if this sounds callous, but I'd rather use the energy I have left to push for tangible actions that draw from the conversations. Um, but she didn't push for any tangible actions. Like, the, the department got no money based off of what was happening. Like, she didn't push for anything. She just was being a bitch. So then we responded back, and we was basically like, you, we got, like, we read her for nice nasty. Basically, her not saying that she didn't want to write a statement was adding to the fact that she was anti-black, personally. Like, whatever. So then we basically told her, like, you're anti-black as fuck. You failed us. Bitch, you should have said something. Um... We asked for a statement. She didn't want to give the statement still. We said, okay, you remain teachable. We were really trying to be nice. Update the language used in classrooms. One of the professors fucked up someone's pronouns three times in a row, and that person has taken their class three times, and they fucked it up each time. Like, there's just so many things going on that's like, okay, like, you guys need to really evaluate yourself. Um, so then she never responded back to the email that we sent to our last email where we called her anti-black. And the email was so bad, I would have cried. Like, I would have really been like, am I that bad? But... Bitches don't like introspection. Bitches, like I said, do not like personal responsibility. So then um, we asked our black one, the, the only black professor in the department to reach out to her. She doesn't respond to his email. So then we check in again. We're like, has she said anything? So then he sends another email. And then she goes, oh, I'm not going to respond until September. So me and one of my other friends, uh, me and the, one of the people who wrote the email, one of them, we were like, oh, let's take over the ethnic studies club. You know, because we, we quote unquote, we supposedly love our apartment, right? And we want to do things, you know? And so then we had a meeting with Anna, Eat the Cake Anime, and she talked the whole meeting. She would not let us speak. So then I just said to her, I was like, oh, can we set up a time to like kind of discuss the email that we talked about? Um, and she goes, well, well, why would we do that? And I'm like, because like we want answers to, I said, because we like really want to discuss what we sent the email. She goes, well, if you have an issue with me, you can bring it up one-on-one. And I'm like, no, because we all four wrote the email. It's a four people composed email. No. And then she was basically, she basically said that she's sorry if I may have made, she said, I'm sorry if I may have made you feel like I'm anti-black, which that is like a tongue twister of a way to say, bitch, I could give a fuck less. And then she said in her reality, it didn't happen that way. And I'm thinking to myself, bitch, you're crazy. Like when she said that, I was like, okay. I was like, ah, oh, this makes sense. Light bulb. You're actually delusional, bitch. And I want nothing to do with you. So then we get to in the meeting. I basically said, she goes, well, I don't really know how we're going to move forward here. And I was like, we don't have to go anywhere. I said, I will probably never, ever speak to you again in my life because I refuse to talk to someone who does not take responsibility for their actions and wants to say that they live in two separate universities that, or two separate universities. That just makes no sense to me. Right. So that, that, into that. So they um they have a staff meeting right and my professor calls me out of nowhere and she was like you know we just had the staff meeting and things went really bad and basically she blamed me and said that I was being I was harassing her and I was aggressive and I only the only time I emailed her was 
um, the when we called her out for being anti-black and not writing the statement, and then when we were supposed to have a Zoom meeting to talk about ethnic studies club stuff, and I just brought it up because she's in this space. Like, she was talking to us as if we had not sent that email in that Zoom meeting. So I'm like, bitch, you have to talk about it, right? That's how you move forward. But in the Zoom meeting with the faculty and staff, she blamed me. Like, and she kept confusing my name with the professor's name, and she kept blaming us. And I was like, and she said I was harassing her and I was aggressive. And I like literally was like, you're the head of the ethnic studies department, a bitch with degrees and stuff. And you're going to sit here and call a black woman saying that she's harassing you. She's great. Like she played white woman. She played, you know, I'm just going to go cry and I'm going to play the victim. And that was like, I was like, it was a wake up call that that's actually how life is. And that's actually how people will do you. Um, so then I reported her to like the highest authority that you would report a professor to. I reported her to this, and I reported her to the uh, vice provost of diversity or whatever that role is. I reported her to everybody. And I was just like, I want you to see that. And, I, and everything was an email. And I was like, got you, bitch. Because we know the games you play. Everything was an email. And we sent it off. And they got her fucking number, bitch. They knew exactly who she was from that moment on. And then we had a vigil for like, you know, the black lives that have been lost. Santa Clara trying to do their best, but always doing the worst. And then she was like, you know, I'm just, you know, shout out to all the Latinx lives, based on what she said. And I'm like, bitch, you're so disrespectful because we even said, don't bring up nobody else. Because when we're talking about black people, everybody wants to bring up everybody else all the time. No, bitch, that's not what we're talking about. And, but of course, that's what she did. Even when, even the white people told her don't do it. And she did it anyway. So there's no saving that hoe. Like, you cannot save her. Whatever. Um, and she, I felt like it, it was colors. It, it was colors. She blamed me out of everybody. There were three other people that wrote that email. I mean, I was I was one to press her about it because I'm like, I'm not going to put my name on something and not follow through with it because ultimately you're anti-black. And you know what? This bitch, her classrooms always be empty. If you go on courseavail.scu.edu, maybe go to the last quarter. Don't look at this quarter because been, they've been gone for a year and a half, so they don't. Actually, that it's not courseavail.scu.edu. I don't know what it is. But listen. Her classes have always been empty. And it's, the only reason they're full now is because bitches don't fucking know that that bitch is the op. She do, I asked her point blank, are there black people in Mexico? And she lied and said there wasn't. And I knew that the answer was yes, but I just wanted to hear her say no. Because I knew what type of I knew what type of time she was on. She's on the anti-black time. She's racist. So, um, yeah, she's a white Tino, but whatever. Um, but anyways, yeah, like she... That was really hard for me because I'm like, you're making me out to be someone that I'm not. And I, that's really what was hard for me. I'm like, I'm not the person that you're saying that I am. And yet th this is what you're doing to me um, just because I'm trying to help you be great. Because what we could have did, like the thing was, as my friends told me, we were being nice, bitch. Santa Clara was going through a hellish year all day racist bullshit. Like we could have really outed your ass, but we didn't. But I told myself this and I'll say it again. Anna Sampaio will rue the fucking day she had the audacity to sit there and talk shit, bitch, because I got your number. And she can say whatever she wants. Bitch, like I said, bring it. Bring it, girl, because I have receipts. So fuck her. But yeah, that was my own personal experience in my own fucking department. Um, that's supposed to be about, you know, helping the mar marginalized people, but they're fucking anti-black and awful in every other way, except... A couple professors maybe two at least two so yeah we've made it to the end of the episode okay in conclusion I chose only to speak about darker skinned black women because I think um and from my studies too I think that color and race function very differently here in the U.S. like if you look at like Latin America you look at other places um lighter skin is a desired thing 
And, like, you're really only considered black if, like, you're darker skin. You know what I mean? But, like, if you have a little bit of a tan, it's fine. But here in America, if you have one drop of black, you're black. And that's that one drop rule. And I think at large we really have to discuss that. Um, but I also think it's important to focus on darker skin black women because of anti-blackness. Like, darker skin black people of other um, races, ethnicities will shit on black people. They shit on darker skin black people all the same. Like, it's really important that we hone in on darker skin black people. And I think... Yeah, honestly, yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. Um, Because there's no camaraderie out here in these streets. Say camaraderie three times fast. Um, But ultimately, all I ask is that y'all evaluate how you contribute to the oppression of darker-skinned black people. Like, yes, it is a systemic issue, and it's not just individual acts, but at the same time, it also can be individual acts. Like, what you do and say and participate in can have a lasting impact on a darker-skinned black woman, or just anything you do in life. I think that people don't realize, like, your actions can directly impact somebody else. Like, for example, all these things that I'm mentioning here with personal stories, like, that has impacted me. That's impacted, you know, how I move through life and how I, my perspective and things. So it's important that we acknowledge that, you know, like how our actions can affect another person. It's called empathy, you know, right? Um, but at the end of the day, mind what you say and read a fucking book. Um, thank you so much for listening. This was a longer one, but I appreciate you tuning in and I'll see you in the next episode.